Hello, friends. Dave York here, lung cancer survivor, patient advocate, and yes, I'm the research evangelist. And welcome to the Research Evangelist podcast. Coming to you from Boston, but my guests come from all over the world. So I want to tell our, our listeners that the, the Greek meaning of evangelist is bringing the good news. And I like to think I'm bringing the good news in cancer research by interviewing people in life sciences who are doing great work. I call them brilliant, but not famous. And of course, they all are brilliant and they all are famous in, in the sense that they're very well known and respected in their fields um, and the communities that they serve. But my next door neighbor might not recognize the name, but I feel like they should. And so it's my job to introduce all these brilliant people uh, to, to my audience and let them get to know their work and, and their background, what they're passionate about and the impact that they're having in the world of cancer research. So uh, today I'm super excited uh, to have uh, Dr. Jun Zhang uh, from, he's a physician scientist at the University of Kansas Cancer Center. So my first Midwestern guest, which I'm happy to say, and uh, the University of Kansas uh, Cancer Center is the only NCI designated cancer center in the state of Kansas. So I'm really excited to have you here today. Um, he's an MD, PhD, which is why he calls himself a physician scientist. Uh, Dr. Zhang went to medical school at the Hunan Medical University in China. And he's done fellowships here in the U.S. At, at places like Emory University, Harvard Medical School, Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, and UCSF Comprehensive Cancer Center. His clinical interest is lung cancer, and research includes the role of the human microbiome in the immune system and lung cancer treatment. So we're going to be talking about that today because that sounds really exciting to me as a non-scientist. So I'm going to learn a lot today. So anyway, so Dr. Zhang, thank you for coming and welcome to the program. Hey, good afternoon, Dave. Great to be here today. Awesome. Awesome. And, and you're, I assume you're in Kansas today. Correct. Yes. All right. Well, you know, I'm a Minnesota guy. I'm originally from Minnesota. So, and I spent a little time in Kansas when I was a kid. So I, I just want to mention a little plug to the University of Kansas because I did go to the Ted Owens Jayhawk basketball camp when I was in sixth grade. So that little tidbit <laughs> before we get started. Great. Hope you still miss Kansas. Yeah, well, Rock Chalk Jayhawk, right? Isn't that what we say? Right. <laughs> okay, so, uh, so June, why don't we start by um, having you tell us about your journey uh, to becoming a physician scientist? And and I know you're from you're, you're from China, and we'd love to hear kind of how you you found your way to all these amazing places that you've been and ended up at the University of Kansas. Oh, this is a long history. <laughs> you know that uh, I was actually born in China. I was um, I was uh, trained as a pulmonologist in China, and a little bit different uh, from the system here over China that, uh, you know, lung cancer patients normally taken care by pulmonologists instead of kind of dedicated oncologists or, as what we are, are doing here. So um, that was many years ago uh, and that, you know, be, being a, a pulmonologist, I had a chance to kind of to see lung cancer patients. And as you know, that at, this mo at that moment, uh, it's almost 20 years ago, um, that for metastatic lung cancer, we only have chemotherapy. Um, and this is a really difficult disease to deal with. So at that moment, I was actually made my, my decision that I need to know more about cancer biology and hopefully that this knowledge can really bring benefits in the clinical side. And that was the reason that I came to the United States in the year of 20, uh, uh, 2000 and uh, you know, start uh, a, a PhD um, you know, study uh, in the Louisiana State University focused on cancer biology. 
And after that, I did my postdoc research training at Dana Fab, as you mentioned earlier, as well as UCSF. Now, after you know, knowing all those cutting edge uh, technology and updated knowledge, then I was eager, in fact, to apply to, you know, to, to patients at the bedside. And that was the reason that I went back again to clinic, um, finished my residency training in New York, and then uh, finally the hematology and oncology training uh, from Emory University. I, um, after my graduation from Emory, I did a um, the first, uh, I got my first faculty position in the University of Iowa. And over there, uh, I met my collaborator, uh, you know, um, Dr. Ashtosh Magalan, um, who actually introduced me uh, to the field of microbiome. Um, and, and, you know, the reason I moved down to the uh, University of Kansas, um, there are lots of reasons. I mean, we have friends here, we have a good collaborator, and of course, the weather I really like. And there are some other family issues as well. So that's why I came down to University of Kansas. And so far, I think this, is a, this was a wise decision to me. Awesome. How long have you been at the University of Kansas? Almost two years now. Two years. Awesome. Awesome. Well, there's a lot of amazing people there um, at, your, at your cancer center. And I'd like to know, you know how, how you chose uh, lung cancer. Now, I, I, I've read somewhere that you, know, you called lungs an organ of inspiration. Right. I thought that was kind of an interesting quote. So I'd like to, you know, tell us about, you know, you know, how, how lung cancer became something that you're so passionate about. Yeah. So the first thing, reason is, as I mentioned, that I was a pulmonologist. Um, uh, so of course, I mean, direct exposure in the clinical side and seeing those patients suffer and become a strong driving force for me to try to really address uh, this disease. And also that um, during my postdoc training, um, that, you know, that was uh, the time when I was um, in, at UC, UCSF uh, working in Dr. Um, Martin McMahon's lab. And over there, we, we use um, multiple different uh, mouse models to study lung cancer. So I actually know how to actually study lung cancer use dedicated uh, mouse model. And I think, you know, uh, with this mouse model, we can uh, do lots of cool research in lung cancer. And this helped me to kind of really bridge uh, the bedside and bench side together. And that was the, what, the second reason for me to um, get interested in lung cancer. Yeah. And we'll talk about the, you know, the animal studies a, a little bit later, but uh, I'm interested in that, you know, that, uh, you know, moving to the United States, you know, and, and getting now 20 years later, having been to all these great places and interacted with so many people. Do you still, do you still have family um, back in China? Uh, yeah, I have my mom over there. Okay. All right. Uh, so she must be very proud of you. She is. I mean, <laughs> of course, she missed me a lot. I miss her a lot. But the problem is, you know, she doesn't speak English, and this become a little bit challenging for her to stay with us. Um, and the part of the reason that I'm interested in microbiome and immunotherapy was uh, my father was actually uh, passed away from gastric cancer. And, you know, at a time when uh, he was receiving treatment, he actually was on immunotherapy and developed pretty bad side effects from uh, what we call immunotherapy-mediated toxicities. And that was a strong driving force for me to try to understand why some patients um, you know, tolerate well what was other patients develop toxicities. Um, there are some, you know, at this moment, we don't actually have a good way to predict which patient developed those toxicities. And this is one of the focus of my research. Yeah, well, that's actually a good transition, you know, to 
to talk about your research because I know you you talked to me when we we met earlier um, about the microbiome and about bacteria and viruses and all this stuff that's way above me but um, but but really the focusing on you know the immune system right and and what is the so why don't you why don't you kind of tell our audience what what about you know the microbiome the human microbiome what that is and and how how it's related to um, to lung cancer yeah so the microbiome is basically kind of a term uh, to describe all those microorganisms in our body um, like for example bacteria virus fungi all those uh, microorganisms and we know that um, you know the parts of the body that has exposed to outside always have those microorganisms kind of resides um, now, particularly, we know that um, uh, those, uh, you know, microbiota or microorganisms, they are pretty, particularly important to educate our immune system. And they're also important, for example, making those um, essential elements for our body. Uh, for example, vitamin K, which is very important for the blood to form in the blood clots. And we know that the major uh, source of vitamin K, in fact, was from the um, basically is through the synthesis uh, by, the, by the bacteria in our uh, large intestine. So um, that's why they are kind of important. And also some people actually estimate that the genes in the microbiome kind of encodes, they actually outnumber the genes in our, our, in our human body by number 100 to one. So there are lots of stuff in our body. Wow. And uh, you know, there's a, I still remember there's a cartoon actually put in the website and, and people argue that if you compare two different people uh, using our host genome or human genome, we are very identical, 99.9% we're identical. And that's why you and me are both called human being, right? But when we look at the microbiome level, 80 to 90% of chance that we are actually different. Um, so those are the, the, the key information about those microbiome that are important to educate our immune system, and also kind of um, bring the diversity of each individuals. Um, the reason that I'm kind of interested in that is, um, you know, especially for lung cancer, is number one that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, microbiota, or especially in my case, uh, you know, interest in bacteria, they're important to educate our immune system. But also um, uh, there's uh, evidence from animal model. Like for example, one of the study, um, was actually uh, conducted in Dr. Uh, Tyler Jack's lab. They use very delicate mouse models. And when the, the reason I say delicate is because they can turn on certain gene, which we call oncogene, or certain, turn off certain uh, gene we call tumor suppressors. So you can manipulate those genes, turn on oncogene, kind of to promote cancer carcinogenesis or cancer development, and turn off tumor suppressor so that cancer can grow faster. So what they did is they can actually turn on those and turn on oncogene and turn off tumor suppressor in the lung. So those mice develop lung cancer. And the, the development of lung cancer in a very predictable way. And what they did is kind of quite interesting. They have two groups of mice. One mice, they give antibiotics, kind of, you know, four antibiotics in combination to kind of wipe off all the bacteria in the, in the body, including bacteria in the lungs as well. And very interesting, they saw that those, those mice received antibiotics. They developed much less lung cancer. So this is a direct evidence. And more interesting, what they did is they also isolate the bacteria from the mice already developed lung cancer to those mice that 
kind of germ-free, and they found that those mice receiving the bacteria from the mice already developed cancer, they can develop cancer in a much faster way. So this is a direct you know, evidence suggesting that the microbiome um, or the bacteria, uh, you know, commensal bacteria has role uh, in, uh, in the oncogenesis or what we call the initiation of cancer. Um, there are some other studies that at the human level, for example, MD Anderson, they, they had a human level study on melanoma patients. And what they found is certain bacteria in the gut, which is a stool sample, um, they found that certain bacteria correlates to better response uh, in melanoma patients. So we actually have those uh, data from both animal level as well as human level uh, for me to eventually make a decision that, hey, you know, this is microbiome seems to be very important and I want to understand a bit more. That's, that's really interesting. Are you, are you doing any, or are you planning to do any human studies? I did already. Uh, so, you did? Yeah, so before I actually start, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, that uh, there was a study from uh, MD Anderson, they were actually focusing on, my, uh, on uh, melanoma patients. Um, but, you know, what they found is uh, the uh, bacteria in the gut or the stool sample, as I mentioned, that can kind of correlate to treatment response. But we know that melanoma is different from lung cancer, right? Um, so lung cancer is a cancer derived in the respiratory organ. So it's kind of different from melanoma. So I was trying to understand, number one is whether or not uh, the microbiome also plays an important role in the immunotherapy of lung cancer. And number two is whether or not the microbiome also correlates to the toxicities or side effects from immunotherapy. You know, in the past, people are more focusing on the, on the uh, response or efficacy of immunotherapy. But because of my, my, my journey with my father, I think that understanding whether or not there's a value on immune mediated toxicity is also important. So this was my second question. And third question is, uh, before we actually start our, our um, project, people were just focusing on the uh, gut microbiome uh, because as we know that, the gut or, or our intestine has the largest amount of bacteria over there. But I was thinking whether or not the microbiome, for example, from oral cavity or nasal cavity also plays a role. And the reason is because those are very close to our lungs. Now, it's not easy to get the microbiome specimen directly from a lung. In that case, we have to do bronchoscopy and it's kind of invasive. So as a starting point, I would like to start with nasal and buccal area. It's very easy to swab. And in fact, in a clinic setting, we can finish the swap within one to two seconds. Um, and we can get good samples for that. So this was a study I initiated uh, in the University of Iowa. And you know, with my collaborator, as I mentioned earlier to you, um, Dr. Um, uh, Ashutosh Maglam. So he was basically helping me to idolize the microbiome kind of signature that we got uh, from lung cancer patients. So what we did was um, we have the stage four metastatic, you know, non-small cell lung cancer patients who are ready to receive immunotherapy or immunotherapy with chemotherapy as the first line treatment. And then before they start, we harvest the um, nasal swab, buccal swab, as well as two sample. And then at a time when they um, develop, for example, immune-mediated side effects, then we get a second set. Uh, and also at a time when the, the, the toxicity gets resolved, we get the third set. So kind of quite interesting that we saw that some of the bacteria, 
especially in the in in the gut, those two samples, uh, very much correlate to response. And those bacteria is not exactly the same as people uh, seen in the melanoma patients, but if you look at the higher level, it seems to be in the same big we call super family. Uh, the, the term is phylum. So it seems to be belong to this, uh, the same uh, superfamily phylum, which is called uh, Firmicutes. And we found that patients who are enriched in the bacteria belongs to this uh, Firmicutes superfamily, they tend to, to have better response. At the same time, you also find some bacteria that correlates to uh, less toxicities. Uh, for example, one of the famous um, bacteria called the Bifidobacteria. Now, if you go to the to Walgreens or Walmart to buy probiotics, you actually notice one famous uh, probiotic is called Bifidobacteria. And what we found is that if you are in enriched in Bifido, um, then you have less chance to develop immune-mediated toxicities uh, in those patients, lung cancer patients receiving immunotherapy. So those are very interesting findings. Now, inconsistent with this, um, we actually already report our findings in multiple meetings such as AECR and ASCO meeting. Um, recently, there was another paper published about two months ago in Nature Medicine uh, from a group in MD Anderson. And they are looking for, also looking into the lung cancer patients, but a little bit different. My focus was on metastatic um, non-small cell lung cancer. And their focus was on early stage resectable non-small cell lung cancer. So you know that in the past many years ago for those resectable disease, uh, basically surgery is only option, right? You go for surgery, you cut it out, you get cured. Now people realize that even with early stage uh, resectable lung cancer, you still have about 50% of chance that disease might come back in the next five years. So one way to do this is to introduce, for example, chemotherapy. Uh, and this has been done in multiple studies. There is a marginal effect, marginal value. Nowadays, with because of immunotherapy, uh, people are trying to give immunotherapy before surgery. So that was their study. And in fact, their study showed that, hey, you know, giving uh, immunotherapy right before surgery seems to have some value, which they actually use the tumor response uh, to measure the efficacy. But quite interestingly, they also did a microbiome study. They also collect the patient's two sample before they give immunotherapy. And what they found is the bacteria that correlates to better response to immunotherapy is the same, it still belongs to the same bigger family as I mentioned, Formicutes superfamily. And they also found that people who are enriched in bifidol in their stool sample, they have less toxicities from immunotherapy. So kind of consistent what we are finding. So those are very interesting findings, I would say. Those are really cool. That's amazing. You know, it's funny how, uh, not funny, but it's interesting how um, you were informed and sort of on this direction of, of it because of your father's experience with, with the bad side effects, right? Okay. But it's also, I had uh, Dr. Jonathan Spicer from McGill. Uh, I spoke with him recently. He talked about some studies he's doing you know, that are in the early stage and trying to determine if whether immunotherapy with or without chemo might be useful. And so it's interesting to hear you talk about it, you know, and you're in a whole different place and you're talking about MD Anderson. And do you talk to each other? Do you communicate with these other people who are doing similar work? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, we have some collaborations and sometimes we're, we're kind of in, you know, participate in the same clinical trials. Um, 
you know, giving, uh, giving uh, immunotherapy before surgery is what we call new adjuvant immunotherapy and becomes a very hot topic nowadays. Um, people, uh, I think, you know, the early paper was actually published in New England Journal of Medicine probably three years ago from um, John Hopkins. And this was the first time that they actually used Keytruda. I mean, if you nowadays watch TV, you, you're quite familiar with Keytruda, which is uh, also yeah. called Pembrolizumab. And it's the first time they actually, um, they actually uh, discovered that the uh, use of Pembrolizumab before surgery, there are some value over there. And since then, people start uh, looking into different combinations. For example, like, you know, different immunotherapy in combination. And the study I just mentioned from MD Anderson, the name is called New Star Trial. They're actually using uh, nivolumab and ipilimumab, uh, both from um, um, uh, BMS, but they actually, uh, the, they are different immunotherapy targeting on two different, what we call immune checkpoints. Uh, there are some other studies that in combination with chemotherapy or even with other target therapies, Sarah. So, at this moment, I would say there is no FDA approved yet treatment, but it's going to be a really the future that uh, uh, with the introduction of immunotherapy, we hope that patients can have a higher chance to be cured with the less chance that disease will come back. That's cool. Well, and but, but your earlier, to your earlier point, I did have a lobectomy and I did have to go back for bronchoscopies. Um, and it's just like going back in the in the in for surgery again. I mean, it's it's it is a very invasive procedure. So, I can totally relate to that. So, you know, you you sound like you know, and you obviously are one of uh, you're taking a leadership role in this in this area. And I I, I would imagine people are reaching out to you as well to 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 pick your brain and learn from what what you guys are learning at the University of Kansas. Yeah, we always always learn from each other. I mean. I think you know in a new edge immunotherapy uh, setting, we actually have clinical trials ongoing. Um, we are um, actually we are one of the most active uh, participants of a study called the Canopy N trial, sponsored by Novartis. And you know basically we are looking into the combination of a new immunotherapy drug. They are targeting a molecule called interleukin one beta, uh, in, in, interleukin beta um, uh, called canakinumab with or without Keytruda in you know, early stage lung cancer patients. We, are also, uh, we also have our IITs, which we, which we call um, investigator initial clinical trials that we are planning uh, for even earlier stage of, of lung cancer. So you know, every week we have a discussion in the tumor board, we learn from each other, we learn from the surgeons, you know, pulmonologists, and they learn from us. I love that. I, I, that's I often say that one of the common themes of, of the guests on my show are are things like mentorship, of course, but also collaboration. This is this, this you know you're, you're all because you're always I'm sure you're always like reading like what's going on like I am. I mean I just read about that BMS um, study that you that you mentioned. Um, so you guys are always you know actively because that's just the way you think, right? Because you're you're scientists and you're trying to figure things out and. But as a from a patient perspective, I'll tell you that it it always makes me feel good, you know, and and grateful when I when I hear from whether it's an oncologist that's you know just treating patients or whether it's a physician scientist or just as a scientist, we're all in this together, and you guys are, we're all trying to to you know to help patients. Right at the end of the day, you know, just like your father, you're, you're trying. You you must this bench to bedside notion of at the end of the day, isn't that really why you come to work every day? Yes, yeah, right. I mean, you know. 
you know, for the immediate effect, we want to save more patients. But also my, by collaborating together, not only just collaborate with the scientists, but also with our patients. And we have a, we have a more, um, uh, at least I would say, better understanding of particular disease like lung cancer. Uh, you know, we have to acknowledge that everybody's experience and knowledge are very limited, right? So collaborate, collaborating with our colleagues, scientists, um, as well as our patients, uh, in fact, uh, we can have a more multi-dimensional kind of view of this particular disease. Um, and this will really help, uh, you know, our, our population, our patients in general, and also advance our science. Yeah. What, what is that, the relationship with the patients? You know, how do you, you talk about this collaborating with your patients and how do you, what's, what's your way of doing that? Like getting, you know, building those relationships with patients, like what's that like? Yeah. So, I mean, one, one of the most popular ways, of course, I mean, you know, we, we encourage patients and of, of course we really you know, acknowledge our patients that participate in our clinical trial, right? Uh, without uh, without patients' involvement, there's no way that we can really know the um, the uh, results or, or any uh, effect of any uh, novel treatments. So this is one way to kind of working with the patients. And also listen to the patient's voice. I mean, you know, we give them medicine and we don't know actually what happens in their body. So we have to listen to the patients, um, you know. And some patients tell us, like, for example, when we're talking about target therapy, we are always focused on, for example, the response rate, how, what percentage of tumor shrink, right? And how long patients survive. But, you know, sometimes when you talk to the patient, the patient will tell you, hey, you know, yeah, it seems like my tumor is responding, but I become more depressed, right? So those are things that we need to, to know. Um, and so listen to patient's voice. And also that if you were a patient or if you have a patient in your family, like in my case, then we understand what we a, a, a cancer patient or a family with cancer patients really needs. Um, so this will actually also shape our our direction of research. Yeah, definitely. And that empathy, you know, for for what is it like, you know, to to be a patient and try to. I had Christian uh, Rolfo on my I interviewed him yesterday. Uh, he's at the University of Maryland. He's now going up to to Mount Sinai, but he 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 talked about that too. He he mentioned. You know, I, when I talk to a patient, I try to put myself in in that person's seat, like literally, and the and the family member or, my, or caregiver who might be there in the conversation. You know, to really, to, but you really have to you you do have to listen, right? And I think sometimes that is a criticism of clinical trials, right? Is that people feel like they're just a a number or just a subject, you know? And I'm very sensitive to that, by the way. You know, I really I really believe that participants in clinical trials should be treated as humanely as possible right and 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 the and yes they're doing good for science and it's great but but they don't like to be treated you know like a number or to, or to, not, or to not be listening to these concerns that they have and but that also brings up another point um, about the other way that patients are treated and is, can you tell me a little bit about the University of Kansas as far as that um, those other complementary or you know integrative uh, therapies and things that, 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 you know, that we think about to, to help patients? Is there anything special about University of Kansas you can mention? Um, complementary ones, like, you know, I would say at this moment, it's not really kind of standard of care, but there are lots of research ongoing. For example, uh, yeah. one of the, one direction of research is kind of relevant to my uh, microbiome project is about uh, nutrition or, or, or diet, right? Mm -hmm. And so 
we actually have our uh, nutritionists and, and dietitians who are actually interested in this um, topic, and we worked um, close together. Um, at this moment, we know that uh, the what we eat, in fact, determines what kind of microbiome we have in the gut, right? So yeah. it, it makes perfect sense that the diet might also have some role um, in uh, cancer treatment or especially immunotherapy response. And, and you know, uh, kind of support this um, idea. Again, you know, I can quote MD Anderson's melanoma study um, that they actually look into other lifestyle, you know, uh, 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 lifestyle regulators such as diet. And what they found is patients who are uh, ingesting more uh, fiber rich, uh, you know, diet enriched with fiber, they actually have a better um, you know, gut microbiome uh, represent as they call increased diversity. So it's like when you look at the forest, you have increased yeah. diversity over there. And normally increased di diversity um, stands for like, you know, healthier uh, microbiome. And what they found is those patients who are um, ingesting more uh, 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 the fiber-rich diet, they have healthier uh, gut microbiome and they have better response to, you know, immunotherapy. And we're doing the same study here um, in lung cancer. So we have the similar design as you, you as I uh, mentioned earlier, but other than the uh, taking the swabs and, and stool samples, we also have an online questionnaire uh, to get information about patients' uh, diet habit. And that questionnaire will go through from like, like your morning all the way down uh, to, to dinner. And we have different you know, uh, kind of foods over there. It takes you about like 20, 30 minutes to finish. But then by the end of the day, we know exactly your, your, your diet habits and what kind of you know, uh, elements you're ingesting, what kind of calorie and what kind of nutrition that you include in your diet. And so that we can actually correlate to the uh, gut microbiome as well as the treatment response. And hopefully in the future, once we have better understanding of the diet, then I think you know, this will be some kind of supplementary uh, 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 treatment for our patients. Yeah. Well, you know, the work you're doing is fascinating. And I know, and I, because I've actually, I've done some some uh, work um, with a nonprofit in, in the area of Fragile X. And there was, there were people that were starting to do some research into, you know, which is the most common form of uh, inherited autism, you know, and what role does the microbiome play, right. you know, and in, in, in how you treat and how there might be treatments that could be um, found by doing research on that. So, you know, you've made the connection for me to lung cancers. I really appreciate. And, and the, and the studies that you're doing, uh, they do make a lot of sense to me. So thank you for, for being able to explain it to someone like me. <laughs> you know, I'm just a Minnesota guy. So, um, but, um, I would like to talk to you about something that's, that, that's really special to me. It's something called the white ribbon project. And I bring it up because, um, the university of Kansas, um, has really been, uh, partnering with this grassroots movement of, of lung cancer patients and advocates and, and caregivers um, around raising awareness that anybody can get lung cancer, right? And there's there's often been a stigma around uh, around lung cancer, but our movement is really it's it's to change the public perception of lung cancer that anybody can get it, but it's inclusive to mean that you shouldn't feel the stigma if you smoked or you didn't smoke. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter because nobody deserves to get lung cancer. So when cancer centers stand up with us and join us to like be visibly uh, spreading awareness about the disease, 
it means a lot to the community. So I, I want to thank the University of Kansas for, for being very public about that. And it's been really good. So um, how do you feel about that, uh, you know, this movement of, of patients and sort of shoulder to shoulder with clinicians and researchers um, shouting out, you know, that, you know, we're this supportive community, right? Right, exactly. I think this is a, an excellent point. I, mean, I think in old days, we always blame that, uh, you know, lung cancer is a smoker's disease. But nowadays, we know that, uh, uh, you know, probably a quarter of patients that we see actually in our clinic, they are, they have very limited history of smoking or they are not smoker at all. Um, and, uh, you know, the understanding that, as you mentioned, that lung cancer can happen in any patients. I think, you know, this kind of awareness, in fact, will in fact help people to participate in early screening. And uh, we know that early screening not only save lives, but also save money as well and save, you know, the burden of the whole society. At the same time, we know that uh, uh, the uh, smokers and non-smokers, uh, lung cancer, their biology is different. Their molecular level, their, uh, you know, there are lots of difference over there. The treatment is very different and the outcome is very different as well. So. Again, raising awareness of uh, lung cancer can happen in any patients, encourage people to, as you said, walk out, you know, exchange ideas, encourage people to have to participate in early, uh, you know, screening. I, I think those are all the key things um, to prevent lung cancer. Yeah. Now, now I want to go back. You mentioned, I, I, I want to make sure I was clear that you, when you were at the University of Iowa, you had this collaborator. Right, and then you end up in Kansas. Is that your is your colleague still in, in Iowa? Or is he in Kansas now? Or are you still? My my colleague is still in Kansas, uh, in Iowa, and okay. and the one of the reason that I moved moved here is as I mentioned earlier that I can be honest with you, because my my father actually you know passed away over there. Uh, it, it, it's become a pain for me to continue to stay in other place, and that's why I'm oh. here. And also at the same time, I have the collaborator, so I feel like much easier. Uh, yeah. yeah, to continue. Well, I I think the University of Kansas is lucky to have you. Uh, well, I would say that uh, it's, it's, it's my luck to have the University of Kansas. Yeah, it's so awesome. Well, I, I'd like to ask you, I, I like to ask all my guests, I don't mean to put you on the spot, uh -huh. but I always like to ask everybody, like something that you're passionate about outside of your work or something that people might not know about you. And I'll give you an example. Right. Like, I, I'm a bird watcher. I'm a birder. I love, I have feeders in my backyard. I just, and no one would know that because who does that? But uh, I'm actually a lot of people do, but they wouldn't know that I do it. So um, if there's anything, you know, that you can share with us that you're, that you're passionate about outside of your work uh, that you want to share with us. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I was a kid, I always that dreamed that my job would be a writer, you know, because I would say that I have lots of, seems like I have lots of, stories in my in my mind i would like to put down um, but now i mean when facing patients uh when seeing those you know uh, marvelous thing happen in science uh, i'm kind of really draw my attention to this science field medical field but again i hope someday that i can find time to quiet myself down and start writing something uh, something that may not be necessarily uh, you know a novel but something that relevant to the patients relevant to um, a journey, the journey as a doctor, like, you know, I would say maybe I can quote as writing on the edge of life. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you find the time to do that someday. I think it would be a good angle. I think it would be great to, uh, you know, to get a perspective of someone with your, with your background experience, you know, to then, 
you know, write a personal story about it. I think that would be pretty cool. So yeah, I hope so. You know, I thought about writing a novel, not a novel. Well, maybe a novel, but I, I don't know how they do it. I don't, I just don't know how I could, you know, sit down every day and just like, you know, put pen to paper, you know, but um, that's kind of why I started my podcast. Then I can just ask questions and I can have other people tell their stories. Cause I, I you know, like you, I am a storyteller. I love telling stories. I love hearing stories. Right. So, and, and I think that's like just a really great, a great wrap up to our conversation, uh, June. It was really great to meet you. And, and thank you for sharing your, your journey and your story with us. And, and as I get, as, as I said earlier, you know, as a, as a cancer, former cancer patient, you know, who really was grateful for my care team, I'm super grateful for people like you that, and the ones that will come behind you, you know, who will continue to make these breakthroughs uh, happen for and to helping uh, cancer patients. So thanks, thanks so much for being on the show. Sure, my pleasure, Dave. Thank you for, for having me today. 